0: And welcome back to It's Symbolic, where we talk about those games, movies, television, whatever that you may have missed, but clearly not everyone did. I'm Jacob Savage. So you're just saying that they missed the boat, is what you're saying? Yes. You had your chance, and we are the follow-up boat that is chasing down that first boat. (laughs) We've come to rescue you, don't fear. Yes. Alternatively, we are the police cruiser... That is I, I don't trying to tail cops. down the original larger boat.
1: I don't want to be cops. Let's not be that. I like the rescue. Oh, crew. yeah, that's a good... Uh, did we say We're who vigilantes
0: we are? who have hijacked a police cruiser. Did we say who we are? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as I say, I'm Jacob Savage. I'm Mir. I'm Ben. Alright, before we start, I do want to give an explanation to Ben here. Huh? Because <laughs> I have done some thinking, and I have an answer for a question that you asked during our last episode.
1: Oh, so is is this your uh, sudden idea for a gimmick to get people to go watch the last episode? You're inserting this no, awfully no, quickly no. this time. No, I just, you asked last time
0: why people hate Cats the musical, and I didn't
1: really give you an answer. Oh my god, are we trying to scare off our listeners this quickly? <laughs> Uh, thi- I was all I, I excited figured, to <laughs> Okay, go
0: ahead I, I, I figured that I'd do you a favor By giving you a proper answer to the question Let's make That it you fast. were so excited to ask Let's make it fast We're losing listeners as you talk God, it. it is Basically an extension Of the drama surrounding Andrew Lloyd Webber Given that his works are primarily Less noted for their quality And more for their PR work Where they are successful less because
1: they're good works, and more because they have successful advertising campaigns. Okay, wasn't paying attention to that, because I'm too busy trying to focus on what I'm going to say after this, because I'm going to be talking this whole episode, but I'm sure I will enjoy that explanation when I go back and listen to it once this episode is out. Because I do listen to the show. Anyways, that's two and a half minutes wasted, so let's just go ahead and get (laughs) on with it. You're stuck with me this episode. I will be your navigator taking you through these stormy waters of obscure Japanese games. Uh, This is another
2: episode I won't have a whole lot to say about.
1: (laughs) Please do your best.
0: (laughs) So what will you be educating us on today, Ben?
1: Yes, so today's episode we will be discussing... The uh, series of platforming puzzle action games, Umihara Kawase. So, our story begins with two primary figures in this series. I'm already making this out to be really boring. Please feel free to interject during my information dumps. It's fun. We like to have fun around here, I promise. Yeah. Anyway, we're the cool teachers. Uh yeah, I'm I'm sitting in my chair backwards. You can't see it, but Yeah, and you can call us by our first names. <laughs> well, that's cuz I just threw I, my textbook in the trash my last name. <laughs> Anyways, is that, a, is that a teacher thing or like a youth pastor thing? God, I don't know. I guess I really have a lot of experience with youth pastors. In, to be
0: fair, I called almost all of my college professors by their first
1: names, so. Oh, well, look at you. Anyway, so we have two figures uh, programmer Kiyoshi Sakai and artist Toshinobu Kondo. Uh, both of them grew up doing during uh, Japan's Invader Boom period, which was basically like when Space Invader clones were taking over the Japanese game market. Uh, okay. And it was sort of like the first big uh, push for video games into the mainstream. You'd see them in cafes and all over the place and it wasn't just this weird nerdy thing anymore. So at that yeah. point, uh, Sakai, he took basically immediate interest in games following that and learned to program at the age of 13, entering Game development only five years later at age 18 you hear a lot of uh (laughs) there's some stories about like people who get into the industry really young one of the most famous i can think of is uh masahiro sakurai creating curvy at age 19 i don't know if this was i legitimately did not know that he was that young when he did that 19 yeah it's I don't know if this is like a common thing during that era, or if it's just like... I'll get into this later, but... I mean, all of the case. stress
0: of working on Smash Bros. is probably leading Sakurai to an early grave anyway. So,
1: <laughs> it sure doesn't look like it. Anyways. Hmm. So yeah, at, at age 18, he got into the industry proper. I believe he was freelance, uh, as far as I can tell. Because looking at his list of works, they were all pretty much different companies every time. So I don't know if he was just jumping a lot or what the industry was like at the time.
0: Yeah, that, probably just... a bit of both, since especially in the eighties, you see a lot more of these independent companies that would make a few games and then kinda of disappear.
1: That's true, and there's definitely a lot yeah. more of those coming. Until like along the indie the way in boom story. of a few
0: Yeah, until the indie boom of a few years ago you don't get as much of that.
1: Mm-hmm. As meanwhile, uh, Kondo also took interest in games uh, around the same age, but he was an artist. He intended to be uh, a manga artist, which is what he initially did, but uh, he ended up finding the lifestyle to be kind of lonely, so he ended up uh, <laughs> joining a game development company called uh, in Cafe uh, as a character designer for them for a little bit. He eventually went back to doing manga illustration, but at that point he had connections in the industry. That's what you need to get from that. Oh, yeah, so after helping out with several projects uh, as a programmer, Sakai decided that he wanted to do his first uh, top to bottom project uh, on his own. All he really had in mind the the, the uh, conception of Umiharakawaei is a bit different than your average game. The gameplay concept didn't come first at all. In fact, it might have been oh. the last thing to come. Oh. Uh, he actually had the name and design of the character first. So what happened was he was watching uh, the Travel Channel, uh, some sort of <laughs> cooking show or something, I guess. And he heard this uh, saying among uh, sushi chefs on it. I don't actually have the Japanese, but what it translates to is uh, ocean fish's belly, river fish's back is where the fatty meat is. So uh, he thought that that phrase was catchy, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So he ended up taking the characters for ocean, belly, river, back spells umihara kawase uh and he decided that would be the character's name so going from there basically there all he had, yeah there you go that's i mean like not being native i don't necessarily know like how awkward the name sounds or if it's like an actual normal I mean, name i've Maybe named
0: ha- characters for dumber reasons so.
1: <laughs> umihara i know is a relatively normal name i don't know about kawase i haven't heard it anywhere else and i figured that's probably a weird one but That's okay, there's plenty more weird to come, so that will not be the last weird thing you hear today. So, with uh, the naming of this character being based off of uh, fish and sea life, I guess, he decided that uh, marine life would be one of the key themes of the game, uh, along with childhood memories. So, he decided to make the protagonist uh, a schoolgirl. That's pretty much all the reasoning I have for that. Yeah, I mean... Fairly
0: well designed for a Japanese school girl character.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's not. I cannot like, really
0: yeah. find anything creepy about it.
1: Well, not yet.
0: Uh,
1: uh, <laughs> I mean, like she's wearing uh, I mean, simple shorts and everything. He's he's not a character designer, uh, so he pretty much just designed the character in sprite form, and there wasn't any art or anything at the time. Uh, that'll come in later. Okay. So, then he went ahead and started designing, uh, game prototypes for the, uh, x68000 PC. Which was a... F- I don't wanna say popular, but as far as <laughs> games go, it was one of the bigger PC models at the time in Japan. Okay. It's still, like, very much a niche thing, but you might be familiar with some stuff for it, perhaps. Anyways, uh. Perhaps. So the very first concept for Umihara Kawase, uh, all he knew was he wanted to make a sort of single screen action game so it didn't actually end up being single screen it has scrolling but it was kept to a relative minimum it wasn't like a platformer or anything like that where you would be going from left to right it basically was like dig dug pretty much more specifically dig dug 2 which is top down i don't know if you've seen that (laughs) so we actually for the first time got uh videos of these prototypes just last year in like november i think so you can go and look up videos of these uh, and basically, in this concept, Umihara would be digging trenches through the dirt uh, and connecting them to these water reservoirs to flood those trenches uh, and flood out enemies. Uh, she was also intended to be able to attack with a water pump, but that never actually got implemented before this design uh, got scrapped. I'll, that, that sounds completely
0: different from what we actually got, so...
1: Yeah, totally. Well, yeah. we still have a little bit till we get to what the final game looks like, because after that oh. came a maze game, interestingly enough. Once again, with uh, water as a pretty major component, uh, basically the water would be enclosed by these walls that you could like break down, once again, using them to flood out enemies. But you could also uh, jump on enemies in order to stun them and then toss them out of the stage or into the water from there. Once again, very different than what we. never really watched. see maze games anymore, do you? Ah, uh, there's some good like modern Pac-Man versions, like the uh, Championship mm. Editions one. But I feel like nowadays, if you try to make a maze game, people will just be like, "Oh, it's Pac-Man," and be like, "I could just buy Pac-Man for like ninety-nine cents on my iPhone or whatever," and then sort of it would yeah. get dismissed. But
0: uh, he I decided... mean, just imagine if any other subgenre just got that treatment it's like oh you made a platformer i can just play super mario brothers you can well, jump. Some
1: people are kind of like that especially if you go back to like god. the early 3d era when it's like that's like old shit i don't want that oh god <laughs>
2: i wish that attitude were more pervasive towards like first person shooters
1: <laughs> i feel get- like it's getting there
2: i feel like we have enough of
1: those it's 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 getting there. There was definitely a little but this while. this one has guns like,
0: and zombies in it.
1: It's definitely a little while when I was like, We had, we're trying to distance ourselves from like that dude bro shit and that only lasted. And they a little, didn't really Yeah. Well it'll it's it's a niche that's lasted a long time back to when people complained about like tons of Doom clones before they were called first person shooters. And I think I remember reading I think it was like the
0: Call of Duty people say that Call of Duty players aren't real gamers? (laughs) I remember that. that. Yes, because they only play Call of Duty. I do remember that. That was was something. Can can we start applying that mentality to Super Smash Bros. Melee players as well?
1: (laughs) I already do that. Anyways, (laughs) so this prototype, she felt like the way that you attacked enemies in this case wasn't very interesting so he just he wanted to make something more like precision based i guess like needing to shoot them for instance but he didn't think that like shooting them with like a gun or some sort of like energy attack or something would really be fitting so in order to try to keep along with the theme he decided that uh umihara would shoot out a fishing hook see starting to get there yeah okay and finally uh he realized you know well, why, why just use the fishing hook to hit enemies when you can go ahead and attach it to walls and floors and ceilings and all sorts of stuff? Maybe that would be fun. And just like th- in real life. Just like, well, anyways, from there, that's where the initial design of the game, uh, finally came to be umihara kawase basically i I sort of took a while to actually get to describing the game itself so you play as uh the eponymous umihara kawase uh traversing through stages trying to get to the end of level door uh and you do this uh with this fishing hook that she is armed with that as mentioned in addition to using to uh stun enemies she can also uh grab onto platforms with to swing from them and just traverse through the level uh, it's also, uh, along the way, they didn't mention how exactly this came to be, but based off of what I know about Sakai, it just seems to be like, because it would be interesting to develop from a technical standpoint, the, uh, hook was made to be elastic. So it would, uh, stretch as you use it. It would, it would have, like, bounce to it, and you could use that to sort of flip yourself around stuff and just go all over Never the place. Never when you needed it to. <laughs> it would do. Sure. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this happened in like 92. He developed a prototype and then, uh, took it to a friend of his who worked for a game developing company called TNN who eventually ended up picking up the project. Uh, so with TNN, they ended up developing the full game. It got close to release around 1994. And around that time, uh, Kondo, the illustrator I mentioned at the beginning, uh, because of his connections to the game, Development industry was reached out to in order to uh, illustrate the game. So he did the promotional artwork for the game. Uh, He did the cover artwork. He basically sort of finalized Umihara's design from the the sprite to the actual artwork. You can see that there's some differences between the two. She wears like a jacket in the artwork for the game, but in the game itself, she just has like a white shirt on. So. In the end, the team for Umi Harakawase was about like six people only, with some additional people, you know, doing some small bits of work. But it was a core team of about God. six people. Yeah, and it what? released. Remember, remember when that could happen? Well, you could just. It's this is going to be a trend. It only gets smaller from here. So, oh, jeez. yeah. So in the end, uh, Umihara Kawase, uh, was changed from, uh, the x68000 PC to Super, Super Famicom, or the Super Nintendo, for, uh, just because it was a more popular system, uh, and it was released in 1994. So, we can take some time to talk some about the game itself. Uh, I talked about the gameplay, but, uh, it's sort of arcadey in its structure. Uh, you start at the beginning every time, uh, and you have a certain number of lives that you use to try to complete the game. Yeah. Uh, there's basically branching paths through each of the levels, uh, that you would use to try to get to one of several of the game's uh, ending positions, I guess. Uh, yeah. Along the way, there's all sorts of uh, enemies in the form of various sea life, for the most part. Sea life with yes. legs, I should mention. big, yeah, which people
0: field. never seem to get past. Like, I have seen this game show up on, like, Oh, were these guys on drugs when they made it? These <laughs> fish have legs!
2: Fish have... don't have
0: legs! Some hey,
2: shocking news for these people, and that's that lots of sea life has legs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there are octopi I mean, To be legs fair, these are expressly it fish. It's just uh, the same the same eight legs that normal octopi have.
2: <laughs> they should read Gyo. Junji Ito's Gyo. And, uh, oh, get back Jesus.
1: To me. <laughs> <laughs> God. But like th- This game is very intentionally meant to be surreal. Uh, it's supposed to, the interpretation of it that Sakai and Kondo have stated is that it's meant to be in some sort of like mindscape of Umihara's uh, own creation. I'm not sh- it's There's like various like Oh other... god, that's just
0: inviting even more grimdark theories. <laughs> <laughs> well...
1: I don't think it ever... Really she almost drowned on a <laughs> fishing landscape. trip. That's why all the enemies <laughs> are fish. Nah, she's a she's alive. She's alive. There's there's stuff that will reference her real life later on, don't worry. Yeah, why
2: it's a trip into the imagination.
1: Yes, exactly. It is the imagination uh, of her 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 the the child Umihara Kawase. (laughs) Uh, anyways, so in addition to that, pretty much all the scenery and stuff is very bizarre also. It's definitely very gamey and that it's a lot of blocks and stuff but the backgrounds are all like really low resolution grayscale versions of real life photos often yeah, like uh water channels and stuff like that and then there's various like uh objects very... that be
0: mm-hmm. yeah very odd things just growing out of the platforms it yeah,
1: just like litter the stages so it's a very uh it's very they, they aren't even sense. like
0: They aren't even usually, like, stage hazards. They're just
1: there. They're just there. No, they're not interactable. They're just background elements, pretty much. As I found on more than one occasion
0: when I tried to salvage (laughs) a wrong jump.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So in addition to all the uh, surreal uh, visual elements, the whole aesthetic package is tied together by some very serene music. Which is uh, very much at odds with the game's extremely high difficulty. Oh, yes. So The physics uh,
0: are kind of hard to get a handle on.
1: Yeah, it's it a very high learning curve, and the stages get very, very difficult later on. Uh, in addition to the fact that you have. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. Especially given that enemies tend to spawn kind of
1: randomly. They do, yes. There's enemies that start in set locations that do not despawn until they're defeated, but there are also enemies that just spawn randomly throughout the stage, which can often be at very inopportune times. Oh. More than often, usually. Yes. Very often. More than once, I, like,
0: grabbed an enemy that was on another platform and tried
1: to reel it in a bit, only to have it drag me down with it. Yes. (sighs) So, the high difficulty is supplemented by the fact that you only have a set amount of lives. You can supplement it with uh, backpacks that you find throughout the stages, often placed in very precarious positions. It's very cute. Yes. But once you end up losing all your lives, then that's just it. There's no continues or anything. You have to make it through the entire game in one shot and within a certain time period. Because after 30 minutes pass in-game you will automatically be taken to uh, basically like a fail state stage, I would call it, that will, uh, upon completion, will end the game with what's considered, quote-unquote, a bad ending. It's not any different than the actual ending, but it just... It's huh. sort of like a consolation prize, I guess. Yes. Oh.
0: Yeah, I didn't manage
1: is... to finish the game, but... If... It's, ex- it's exceedingly difficult. Oh, it is. And I definitely had fun with it, but it was hard. It's not... It, this this is something that they were very aware of, that Umiharakawase was not uh, a very approachable game. Uh, but uh, the first game in the series probably is not my favorite. I still love it a lot. It still has its merits within the context of the series. The way that the lion controls is very different than the rest of the series. It's a bit more loose, for better or for worse, so it's a bit more focused on platforming uh, over use of the reel, I think. And there's more uh, stage gimmicks in this one than any of the subsequent games in this series, interestingly enough. Like, how would you uh, say? Also, uh, just, there's more... There's way more enemy types than in any of the following games. There's a lot of mechanics that don't appear... Uh, either in one of the sequels or any of the sequels, like there's some automatic doors that don't appear in any of the games. There's uh these uh, blocks that res- uh, sort of pop in and out of platforms that only appear in one of the sequels. There's uh blocks that move when you pull on them that only appears in the other sequel. There's just a lot that is... This game sort of has the most concepts in it, I think. Hmm. And it's very, it's spread very thin also. A lot of these things only appear in one level. One or two levels. Okay. But, uh, uh, we're not gonna spend too long talking about this game because it's just the first one and we still have a lot of ground to cover. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, the release of the game was fairly uneventful. It's, this was, a very small project published by a relatively small company. The company actually went under after uh, one, like, soccer game that came out after Kawase. Uh They don't know how well umiharakawa say actually sold. Uh, Sakai says that he heard rumors of around 100 to 200k copies sold. Uh, right. There was also a uh, short uh, manga released within the next year, though it had no involvement from its original creators, and the story kind of is fairly divergent from the game. It still stars Umihara, and she still has her trusty fishing hook, but instead of the plot of the game, which is just sort of in some sort of mindscape, she is like a stowaway on some ship or something, and she needs to fight bad guys with her hooks. There's no, like, fish she needs to fight or anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't it, know.
0: It, it's like those really weird tie-in comics that you get from early arcade games, like Centipede.
1: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have much to do with the game itself other than just like... If you looked at the cover, you, would, you could believe it's official, but if you actually read the content, you'd be like, this doesn't have a whole lot to do with it. Let's see. So like I said, TNN, the company that published it, went bankrupt and ended up getting bought out. Uh But Sakai and uh, Kondo hadn't given up on uh, Umihara Kawase at this point. So under uh, a new company name and with a new publisher, uh, they decided to try to make something for the PlayStation this time. Even though 3D was sort of what was in vogue, they were keeping it 2D. It was initially planned as just uh, a pseudo remake of the first game, maybe with some visual enhancements, hmm. but it ended up being a, a brand new game. This one called uh, Umihara Kawase Shun, which basically means umihara say in season, like like for fish, I guess. Let's see. Some of the core differences here, aesthetically it's gotten a major tune-up. All the platforms and stuff is are in 3D this time, because on the PlayStation you still all the gameplay is in 2D, but all the platforms and stuff are in 3D. Whereas uh, uh, Umihara, the enemies, all that, are actually hand-drawn. Kondo himself drew oh. them on paper, had them scanned in, uh, so it's all done via drawing. It was a very arduous process apparently, but they look really nice. I really like the way that the uh, characters look in this game. Uh, once again, it was a very small project with a about a core team of six individuals again. Uh, And let's see, some of the key differences this time. One, a big one, uh, they added a practice mode. So any level that you've (laughs) been to in the game, you could go and replay in this practice mode as much as you want, and it would save your best time for it as well. So that made it a lot easier to try to actually get to any of the endings because previously, if you wanted to practice a hard stage, you'd have to go all the way back there and try it again. And that's how we liked it, damn it. (laughs) It really wasn't. It wasn't. And don't worry, they'll... They'll they'll look back at some of the older games later. I see. the gameplay is relatively similar. Uh, They slowed it down a bit to make it a bit easier. Uh, The real physics are actually quite different this time, uh, with the uh, rubber line being a lot springier. So... It basically... I mean as a result you could do a lot more fancy stuff with the reel. You could sort of launch yourself up higher or uh pull yourself with the reel to go faster. It like introduced a technique where you could uh basically latch the reel underneath you and then just sort of like pull yourself back and forth to the left and right to build up speed and then let go to like dash really fast. So it introduced a lot of uh technical stuff with the reel as a result of this change oh yeah so they took advantage of uh the playstation's additional uh disc capacity in some ways as well like it has uh they gave umihara a voice actress for one thing which you don't hear in gameplay but there are two full uh vocal songs in the game for either getting a game over or for reaching the ending ending also has a short uh animated We're- section which bizarrely enough you really can't see in full the ending screen basically has uh umihara in what you what i would take to be real life uh watching tv where she would be watching this animated sequence but it's like very much like at an angle and you can't really see it <laughs> so the only way you can really watch oh, it God, it's- is people had to hack it and extract the animation so you could watch it
0: properly It just means that the animation was illegally uploaded to YouTube. (laughs) So it's really just like a JPEG of
1: someone's living room.
0: And Uh, the vocals are all
1: pitched slightly. (laughs) One more interesting thing about Umihara Kawase Shun was that, sort of in addition to keeping with this TV theme, the game had commercials inside of the game. So, after completing, like, a certain set of stages, you would get a commercial in which Umihara would sell you on, like, actual products, like tea, or uh, fishing equipment, or <laughs> the publishing company itself. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's thematically appropriate, I suppose, but it's still bizarre that you bought a video game, and you played it, and then there's, an, there's a commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> where you're be, trying to be sold on products by this anime girl. I, I feel like there's a snide comment that you could make about the state of the industry. They, they It wasn't, like, for uh, fundraising purposes or anything, as they said. They just thought it would be interesting.
2: <laughs> <multi-media>。<laughs>
0: Certainly makes it stick out, like... I haven't looked too much into Shun, but the visuals and aesthetic are just beautiful. And honestly, I, like, yeah, I the love paper the style... The... God, it, it's kind of a lost art. Mm-hmm. I want it back.
1: Yeah, I kind, I, I, like this middle... Gra- you have stuff like a, uh, a Skullgirls or something like that nowadays where everything's hand-drawn... Which looks absolutely fantastic, but from like uh, an economic standpoint, it's extremely difficult. Whereas this is more of like a midway point. It doesn't animate super smoothly or anything, but it just has these really nice-looking yeah, illustrations I mean, in place of sprites. Yeah, visually, the closest thing I can think of
0: is probably Kirby's Dream Land Three.
1: It's kind mm-hmm. of like that,
0: yeah. Definitely. Even then, it's just in visual
1: style. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So, is probably Alternatively, you could say drawn to life,
1: but <laughs> kind of, I guess. So, a Shun bit more is professional. My personal favorite in this series. I just really like the way it feels. the The changes to the real mechanics are very fun. Uh, there's uh, a lot of uh fun branches in the stages often the mm. way that the branches work in this game is there's basically an easy one and a hard one in some cases it's like uh on some particularly difficult levels they might just give you the door right at the beginning to say like hey if you don't want to try this stage you can just go on to the next one don't worry oh, about it god it's like when you start losing a
0: bunch in a mario game <laughs> it, they just put the help guide there
1: Right up front Stop patronizing me <laughs> But it's still just as difficult As the first game pretty much It's oh. still exceedingly hard Even with the changes they made But practice mode is a very welcome addition To trying to make it more manageable I'll have to see if so, I can get my hands on it Well uh, maybe you. Maybe there will be a place you can get it That I'll explain later Oh moving back on to the timeline uh later that year in nineteen ninety seven uh Kondo ended up founding this uh studio called Studio Sazennsen with uh eight other members which will end up having a pretty major role in this story later but it's basically he finally has a company of his own that he's working for good for so him. uh for the next three years, things were pretty quiet on the Umi- Umihara Kawase front until, possibly for li- the license on the commercial product expiring, or possibly just because they wanted to revisit it, they decided to take another shot at Umihara Kawase Shun and released Umihara Kawase Shun 2nd Edition. So, <laughs> in addition to um removing the commercials this time, replacing them with uh simply illustrations of Umihara, which... Might be more to some people's taste, if they prefer that over having products advertised to them in the game they bought. (laughs) It also added a whole host of new levels and bug fixes and all that. Not really a ton of new stuff, but this ended up being the definitive version of the game. And that is the only one I've played. I've never played the first edition myself. Oh, okay. So you are not speaking about these commercials from experience. (laughs) I have watched them. I have watched all the commercials, but I have not experienced them in the context of the game. Alright, so for here for a while it gets very quiet for Umihara Kawase. Uh Kondo is working with Studio Saizen Sen uh and Sakai. He actually worked with uh Sony for a little bit. He worked as a programmer on uh, Ape Escape, which is probably the biggest oh. thing that he worked on. Okay. And then Yeah, I know Ape Escape. I, I hope it. you do. Yeah. It's a funny monkey game where you <laughs> catch monkeys with a net. And I actually love Ape Escape, so <laughs> Yeah. He was, he i, I I'm not stuff. saying that in a bad way i I enjoyed <laughs> what little I've played of it so uh so when he was working at Sony, he also got the opportunity to work on his own game once again uh this time it was a game called Densten, which basically it resembles Umiharakawase in some ways but is very different in others. You play as a girl who is armed with like some sort of, like, clothes hanger or something, which she uses to hang off of uh, power lines. Oh! Yeah, so Don't the way try the gameplay this at works home. <laughs> is, you, when you're on the ground, you can just run around and jump and stuff. But when you're hanging from power lines, what you can do is you can charge up power to sort of launch yourself along the lines, which you can use to, like, make jumps and stuff like that. Uh, so he worked on this with Sony before... Uh, And before he really had the opportunity to make a lot of progress on it, or even really go beyond the planning stages, Sony went ahead and announced it as uh, a launch title for the PS2. (laughs) Oh! So they had uh, a demo video of it released, which is actually the only footage of the game that exists uh, before it ended up getting canned because they couldn't meet the project deadlines or something like that. So it never actually ended up getting made. But interestingly, interestingly, here's a fun game for you, Jacob. Uh, I yes. would ask you too, Amir, but I don't think this is a, a game-related thing. So you can take a stab at it if you want. But if you want to guess which relatively well-known game developer cited Densan, this game with just one like 30-second video existing of it, as the game that had the single most influence on their career, who do you think said that? God. Here's what he said. If, if, if if it's... it's a game by Sony that wasn't released. It's called Densen in Japanese, which means power line. It's where a girl hangs a clothes hanger on a power line, and then she slides on it. That's what the game's about. I was really shocked by the implementation of the normal things we see in our daily lives, just by changing the way we view things. It was amazing how they made it into a game. I mean, let's be honest. If
0: it's something that offbeat, That someone. If it's something unexpected that someone tied to the video game industry said, my first guess is either going to be
1: Komia or Kojima. You're sort of on the right track here. (laughs) Mir, do you know any names that you could put out?
2: Uh. I know a couple Nintendo guys. (laughs) Um. Uh. I'm gonna. Take a sharp left turn and say um, <laughs> the same guy who made Danganronpa.
1: <laughs> that was, was... Illbleed. You're, right, you're, you're both pretty. You're both
0: pretty close. So we've got on, Komiya, on Kojima, right
1: and Kodaka. All very close. <laughs> the correct answer would be Keita Takahashi, the creator of Katamari Damashi. Oh God! Oh. I can see that. You can. He's he is quite a character. So the fact that he claimed that this unreleased demo video, which he said he hasn't played it or anything, he just saw the demo video, had the most influence on him as a game developer. That's about par for the course, for what I expect from him. I mean,
0: I, I, I saw a series of tweets recently where someone asked him why some of the Katamari levels are so hard, and his response was just, because I'm a jerk.
1: I, I love him so much. I love him so much. That's so good. <laughs> I could go on about him, but that's that's off topic. That's another so episode. After, <laughs> so after that we hadn't we didn't hear much from Sakai or uh Umihara Kawase until uh the first the She deserved a break think of Yeah. The biggest thing I can think of in that time period is in uh two thousand six. There was an episode on the Japanese TV show Game Center CX, which I mentioned in our uh Takeshi's challenge episode. Which had uh, a challenge on Umihara Kawase, uh, which had some involvement from uh, the artist Kondo during the challenge, where he would uh, send the the host of the show uh, little pictures with Umihara responding to his play as he uh, <laughs> as he played. So you know he would send a message at first like "good luck," and then when he was dying a lot, he would send him one of her angry, and it was very cute. <laughs> That's adorable and fantastic. It's a very good episode. I told you both it was mandatory viewing, and evidently you did not watch it. I
2: watched, like, half
1: or the first quarter of it. So I got to,
2: like, the first drawing he sent to him.
0: Good show, right? Yeah. This is a show I've been
1: meaning to pick up for literal years. I love it. And this was actually, even though it got translated much later... But that was actually my very first exposure to the series. Oh. When I watched this episode and I saw the game, I was like, this looks so fun. I've got to play it. And then I went <laughs> out and like bought it there and then. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know if it's directly following that, but Umi I had a bit of a resurgence starting in 2008 when a studio named Rocket, who I don't know anything else about. But basically the point is it's a separate studio there's no involvement from the original creators. Uh They developed a remake of Umihara Kawase Shun 2nd Edition for the PSP Uh mm. called Umihara Kawase Portable. This was very poorly regarded. <laughs> in, ad- in addition to just being buggy, they totally messed up the physics of the game. The way that the lure worked was all wrong. I've not played it myself personally, but it's been pretty universally panned by fans of the series. And it's very clear that the creators had no involvement here. Mm. Uh, But an interesting thing of note is that in E3 2008, uh, Natsume, uh, the company you might know... uh, Back when they (laughs) actually made announcements at E3. Yeah. So they released official PR. uh, And I don't know if it was actually at the show... Uh, saying that Umihara Kawase Portable would be coming to the West under the name Yumi's Odd Odyssey. What? Because I guess Umihara is too hard a name for Westerners, so they changed it to Yumi? I don't know. Mm. So, they announced it, and it might have been shown at E3, I don't know, but it never actually got released here, which might be for the best, because (laughs) this was not the best first exposure to the series. Hmm. But... Uh there was good news to come, either in response to the poor handling of this port or just because they wanted to go back to it. Uh Sakai and Kondo and perhaps the rest of Studio Saizen Sen, uh were involved in another remake of Umihara Kawase-shun, called. How many Hoboi. is that now? Just this is well, this will be the this is the first the fourth version of Umihara Kawase-shun. This one called Umihara Kawase-shun second edition Kanzenban. Kanzenban basically means like complete version or perfect version. And this, this is actually the first, uh, game that I got, and for a while it was the definitive experience in the series. Because in addition to having, uh, an improved version of Umihara Kawasashi's second edition, which added some additional extra levels, uh, as well as adding a continue function to it, uh, it also included the original game. Oh. So it was both both games in one package, uh, both better than they'd ever been before with some extras like, uh, gallery and sound test and you could share replays over, uh, DS wireless. It's just like a really great package even to this day. Nice. I was actually just, that's, it's how I was playing it in prep for this episode. Uh, <laughs> it's great. I like it a lot. And so I would, I would It's kind of, it's kind of expensive nowadays and it's a little irrelevant now for reasons that I will explain later, but, I'm still very fond of it all the same. It has a lot of cool stuff that haven't been in other versions since, like it has a bottom screen map, uh it has all those extras, like the illustrations and stuff like that. It's very cool. I like it a lot. So once again, Umihara takes a little rest until 2013 when for the first time since 1997 a brand new entry in the series was announced. Wow. This is the third totally after, new game. This after the fir- remakes they were starting to approach remaking- cave
0: story levels.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, the first one, this is the first one totally developed by uh, Studio Saizen and Kondo's company and published by a company called Agatsuma Entertainment called uh, Sayonara Umihara Kawase. Which basically means, like, goodbye, um, Yomiharakawa know say. Oh no,
0: where's <laughs> Which, she going? Kind of,
1: kind of foreboding, but yeah. <laughs> she died now. Well, she will die when you play it, like in every other game, because it's still very, very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> but they made some big changes, they made some big changes to the structure of the game this time. Rather than being arcade styled, like the previous ones, everything is from a stage select. So you can just try a stage however many times you want, over and over. Uh, Without you know, without any problems, you don't need to worry about lives or anything like that. Backpacks are still in the games, but rather than being extra lives, they're just collectibles you can get that will unlock stuff for you, including um, new characters. Because this is the first one that has unlockable characters, who also uh, yeah, start I, to make the game a a bit easier, while simultaneously expanding out the universe in some very bizarre yeah, ways I, I, that will I only compound from read. here. Yeah, I did read about these characters, and I am only more confused, so. (laughs) Yes. So, the, the, part of the deal with this game is that Umihara is grown up now, she's in her twenties, she's a wandering sushi chef. Go figure. (laughs) Uh (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, other playable characters include, uh, her younger self from the previous games, uh, her childhood friend who's also there, And then a distant relative of hers from the future who is a time-traveling cop. (laughs) It's like 19. Yes. Uh, But what these new characters do bring are some accessibility features. Uh, The the children characters offer checkpoint features, where if you die once, you're able to restart from a checkpoint. Okay. Very welcome for Mm. newcomers. Uh, Whereas uh, the future cop, she gives you the ability to slow down time with a button press briefly. She's not just a time cop, she's a time cheater. She's a time wizard. Oh, (laughs) (sighs) Boy, a lot of information here. Not quite done yet. (laughs) A lot of questions that are raised that don't necessarily get answered. No, but uh, this game ended up being, it was conceived as sort of like a last piece of fan service for fans of the series, and you can see that in the final form of the game. Uh, because you can unlock, uh, outfits from Umihada's previous games as well, and it will unlock, uh, when you use those, it'll play music from the previous games, which Aww. is a cute touch. Yeah. That's so, cool. with the changes to the structure, it also means that they were able to make the stages more devious than ever. Oh and dear. They, they really are. They're the hardest in the series. The game is probably generally easier just because you can play the stages as many times as you want, but boy, it gets just Really, really hard. I don't even want to look up, because it it logs how many times you've died on a level. I don't even want to look at my counts right now. Oh, Jesus. Come on, Ben. We all have to make sacrifices. (laughs) Oh, I can check later. Okay. Uh, So, as a result of its new structure, I think it's probably the most beginner-friendly of the series. I really like it a lot. I mean, I like all of them in the series a lot. This is probably my most played, just because it's easier to sort of jump into like this, I think. And let's see. I think that's about it for that game. I don't think there's anything else I need to touch on here. So, y'all remember uh, Yumi's Odd Odyssey, right? (laughs) Oh, yes. I just mentioned it a little while ago. So, Uh, Natsume actually ended up fulfilling their promise. But rather than it being the PSP game, it's uh, Sayonara Kawase being released for the 3DS uh, in America, digital only, under the name Yumi's Odd Odyssey. So... This is in twenty fourteen, it finally sees its first uh Western release, uh six years after its initial in Western release. <laughs> Which sometimes it'd just be like that I guess. Yeah. It happens. Huh. Keeping in tradition with Shun though. Uh they're they're not done with uh Sayonara Umihara Kawase quite yet. Oh they- So in twenty fifteen uh, a year after uh, its localized release, uh, Sayonara Umihara Kawase was ported to the PlayStation Vita, which, if you may or may not know, was a console. Was it? I think so. I, I thought it was it a really game, expensive so paperweight. It must have been. So will we'll look into this. It as a, sort of an expanded version, like uh, second edition was for Shun, called uh, Sayonara Umihara Kawase Chirari, or... Uh, Plus, if you are in the West, because this too got a Western release, actually two days earlier in North America compared to Japan. Oh. So not only is it seeing regular release here finally, we're getting it first. Things I mean, that, uh, that rarely even happens pretty good even for today. Us now, yeah. So in addition to adding uh, a lot of new levels, which I must mention, even harder than in the base game. Oh of dear. Sayonara, Umi, I had 100%ed the 3DS version, the Vita version has some stuff that I have never successfully completed uh the intended way. I've done some shortcuts to complete it. If you call yourself a gamer after hundreds of attempts, it gets ridiculously challenging. <laughs> uh in addition to some quality of life features and as an added bonus, uh also it includes the SNES game. Oh. This time so- uh with an added practice mode like in uh should Good. So finally, they went back and added a practice mode to the first game.
0: So, God, that's what a dozen releases between three games.
1: Yes, there are. I own all these games so many times. (laughs) It is absurd. I own Sayonara like five times, I think, if I recall right. Well, that that's your Uh, choice. I have. (laughs) I don't regret any of it, but. (laughs) So, things were looking pretty good for the series at this point, and they only got better, because, uh, later in 2015, uh, Agatsuma, the publisher of, uh, Sayonara Umihara Kawase, uh, announced that they were going to be releasing, uh, both the third game, uh, on Steam in October 2015, with the previous two games releasing the following month. So, this is, they're the same thing as the Vita version of the game, pretty much, both the, uh, third game and first game but shun the second game actually saw a host of enhancements and combined features sort of from all the versions of the game so this is pretty much the definitive version of shun now as well so things are great for the series now they're all readily accessible on steam uh for a pretty reasonable price right everything looks good right yeah what could go what could go wrong what could go wrong well in December of 2015, uh, which, if you're keeping track, is a month after the series got its full release on Steam, Akatsuma Entertainment went defunct, and all the Umi Harakawase games were removed from Steam and PlayStation Network. Oh no!
0: <laughs>
1: so, they were gone, and, I mean, unfortunately, I-, I had bought them at that point, so I didn't give a... F- no. Uh, <laughs> it was a real bummer, because... They were finally accessible. I could finally, like, recommend these to people without saying, like, yeah, just go, like, uh, make, like, a Japanese PlayStation Network account or whatever. (laughs) Uh, and then they were just gone like that, (laughs) just a month afterwards. Even if you
0: could, even if you were able to make a Japanese PlayStation Live account, it
1: wouldn't matter. (laughs) But, fortunately, that didn't last, uh, too long. In uh, February 2016, a new publisher, uh, Dekika Games, ended up uh, having the ownership rights transferred to them. So they're all back on Steam now, and they're all readily available. Yay. Uh, I very really, highly recommend looking at them. Uh, that's all the games that have been released so far, but just to add some additional notes. Uh, in 2017... Uh, is this what I think uh, it is? There was this. Hmm? Is this going to be what I think it is? Maybe. So in 2017, there was this very bizarre announcement at E3 where the publisher, uh, Nicholas Games, showed off uh, a new fighting game from Studio Sai Zen yep. called Blade Strangers. which is a crossover it was originally designed as a crossover of uh IPs from Studio Sizeenstand. They also published uh uh this beat 'em up called Code of Princess, which I'm not super huge on, but this has characters from that in addition to characters from Umihara Kawase. So, she was in a fighting game for some reason. Yeah. Uh and it expanded on her lore in some very bizarre ways that established, like, her family, and it made her kind of a sadist for some reason, which, if anything, oh. you'd think she would be a masochist based off of her games. <laughs> but, uh. <laughs> if it couldn't get any more bizarre, uh, because it was published by Nicholas, they decided to throw in some other characters from under, uh, from other indie games, including characters from Cave Story, Shovel Knight, and Isaac from The Binding of Isaac... He's
0: already the most unpleasant it's, character I can think of from a yeah. an entire aesthetic standpoint. I don't want right? him in a I,
1: fighting game. I I love Binding of Isaac as a game, to be honest, but I hate it aesthetically so much. <laughs> <laughs> Never so played that it. Was ext- so that was uh, extremely bizarre. <laughs> but she she appeared in a crossover game. That's kind of cool, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, that wasn't necessarily what fans of the series were waiting for, especially because the game itself ended up being pretty mediocre. They don't really make very good fighting games. (laughs) I played it a little bit for the sake of research, and I was like, yeah, I think I get it. It's one of those fighting games where they're trying to simplify the controls, so instead of, like, quarter circle motions and stuff, it's like there's a special move button, but it doesn't work as well as it is as it does in smash bros so it just ends up being really awkward i just don't don't like that uh but later that year later in 2017 uh fans of the series got what they were hoping for at tokyo game show that year uh studio saizen sen announced that a new umihara kawase game was in uh the works for the nintendo switch and in at tgs 2018 we finally got our first look at umihara kawase fresh which is going to be the fourth and newest game in the series, coming out uh, this year, 2019, first half of 2019. Oh, nice. Which yeah. uh, is going to be published by Success, uh, which is a really long-standing game developer who might best be known for uh, the Cotton series of shooting games, which stars this like little witch named Cotton who shoots stuff and she rides a broom. And they're very cute and fun, I like them. See
0: that, that's kind of the
1: opposite of what I was thinking when you said shooting game. Oh no 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 no. Sorry. I call like, you know, shoot 'em ups or whatever shooting games so I think shoot 'em ups is a dumb term. <clears throat> <laughs> so uh this probably has the most radical departure of any game in this series. The aesthetic's totally different. Umihara isn't in what seems to be a dreamscape anymore, but rather the real world. Ooh. It's not just, like, floating blocks and stuff she she's on, like, you know, grassy... So it's Mario and Odyssey, and, anyway.
0: like
1: and, uh, perhaps the biggest shift of all is the game is no longer divided into levels. It's all one big interconnected world. Oh, shit. It's like a Metroidvania, yeah. though? So, instead of levels... Uh, you have to do quests. So you would go from point A to point B, or you would go and like fetch objects and stuff like that. Uh, but in keeping with the spirit of the series, once you do the quests in the main mode, there's a time attack mode where you can do those again for the best time. Uh this is in addition, they have all sorts of additional mechanics. There's like there's cooking, you can pick up ingredients, uh there's NPCs and story and stuff. Yeah, they're really like flushing things just, out now from just like this weird amorphous concept to like something with dialogue and characters and writing and all that. Because they they have to undo the damage.
0: Of them <laughs> no, they're saying... just
1: further compounding in the direction they've gone. Umiharu Kase is still a roaming sushi chef who's I think like working part time, right? Yeah, but she's uh, not a sadist
0: com- anymore. <laughs>
1: Yes, she does not seem to be a sadist anymore. <laughs> and, and that just makes the whole
0: fish thing even weirder because, doing a quick search, the NPC designs seem very
1: furry. They are very furry. Yes.
0: One of them actually like looks like it came out of Cave Story.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it does. I think the art style of Fresh is very cute. I really like. Oh, it. Oh yeah, I, I, I'm it's I'm not like, complaining. I think it's. Very it's just like not what I expected. So uh we don't know that much about the game yet cuz there there have been a few demos there was a uh, an invite only demo uh last week actually oh uh and they showed it at TGS uh one of the things that they've announced is it's going to bring back uh multiple characters including uh cameo characters this time they announced that uh Cotton from the series i mentioned before is going to be included as a playable character uh who has her own like special missions and stuff like that and instead of a fishing line she sends out a little fairy buddy to grab onto stuff, and it's very oh, cute. That's cute. Like yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty much where we are with the series now. It's I've I've talked a lot, which is kind of surprising based off of its really like uh, it, uh, humble beginnings yeah, and very simple gameplay. Yeah, I mean, oh, very simple, but like extremely complex at the same time. It's it, really it, hard it, exactly. to get good at. Like. But the,
0: I, Like I said, I only played the first one, and while it is so difficult to get a hang of, I just fell in love with the level design.
1: It's really solid, and if anything, I think the level design just gets better from that point. I really highly recommend the third game uh, as a beginner, or you could wait for when Fresh comes out, because they're really trying to make it the most uh, approachable of the series yet. Yeah, I mean, they remove I, there's, I, there's no one-hit kills, there's a health bar instead. Uh, They changed the way that bosses work. Bosses have health bars as well. Uh, you, you, You get healing items and stuff like that. There's, you know, because it's open world, there's not like death pits and stuff. There hasn't been any word on a Western release, has there? Cause... Uh, they confirmed that it's going to be coming out here. If I oh jeez, I mean, okay, don't have a date or anything yet. Okay, because everything in the series is releasing uh, internationally now. Is it the series is in a very good place? Everything's very readily available. It has uh, an audience in the West, which you know, considering I got into the series and I want to say like twenty eleven or twenty twelve when it was just like this real like oddity. Yeah, I mean that I'd only seen on this like Japanese TV show that I had to go and import this expensive God, DS game to play.
0: But looking over Steam, I... It... It's only playable on Windows, and now I'm upset. Oh, yeah, sorry.
1: <laughs> it's what I get for well, having still... a Mac. You can still get it on 3DS. It's still available there. True. And yeah, even definitely... though come to Switch too, who knows? The future is looking very bright for this series. Yeah, definitely something I'm going to need to check out. Yes, I am... and. Extremely big fan of the series, and you know, even coming into it, when it already developed a lot from its beginnings, just seeing that it's become something much larger than that now, it's been really, really nice because I'm such a huge fan of these games. Yeah, and they command a a pretty big uh, following among like really hardcore platforming fans. There's a big. Not not a big, but, like, a pretty serious uh, speedrunning community and time attack community. Uh, lots oh, of, yeah. like, fan artists and stuff for this series. Like, from what I've heard, you
0: can beat the first game in, like, less than
1: ten minutes. Oh, absolutely. You can beat... Just getting to a uh, ending point, you can beat all the games very quickly. <laughs> but if you want to do completion, that's, like, a totally different story. I mean, I managed to get it quickly. That, it, that ending stage just happened to be a game over. There you go Boy that was me talking a lot I'm
0: sorry about that (laughs) Uh, no, No it's perfectly fine I mean usually it's me
1: talking a lot So this was a nice change I think it's an interesting story. There's, uh, not a lot out there as far as a lot of Japanese developers go because there's a lot of, like, bureaucracies, they can't necessarily share a lot of, you know, stuff about design or prototypes and stuff like that. But because this is such a small group that's developing the game, they've been able to share a lot and we know a lot about it. Yeah. Which is kind of a rare story.
0: So little, it's. Going so far, apparently. I'll be honest, I never heard of it before you brought it up as a possibility for this podcast, I don't think.
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised. It's still not a big name, but it's at least not totally unknown now. (laughs) Uh, So before I end, I actually meant to do this earlier. I don't know if you'll want to cut this towards the beginning. Uh, a A lot of information from this episode comes courtesy of a lot of really great uh, sort of smaller name game news outlets who have done interviews with the creators behind the series. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if we'll find somewhere that we can link these, but I really highly recommend them. I haven't touched on a lot of what's contained in them, specifically uh, articles from US Gamer, Shmupalations, uh, Gaming Moe, and Gosokyo. Uh, once again, they... Did some really great informative interviews with the creators of this series the creators of the series are very open to this sort of thing and I almost wish that i uh if I had more notice I could try to send an email and see what I had gotten but <laughs> yeah maybe someday I, I, I didn't know uh, I knew a lot of these facts, like in an assorted fashion but couldn't really put them together into like a single timeline like i didn't know like how did these two like you know get uh, end up meeting, and, you know, how do they get involved in the series and stuff like that. So I finally feel like I got all these answers and was able to make it into a single timeline, which I could convey for you here today. Hooray. And who knows, maybe one day you'll get to actually email them and do a follow-up. <laughs> maybe. Maybe I can cover it again when Fresh comes out.
0: <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening to It's Symbolic. If... You like what we do? Sorry, did, I didn't you have really a make se- any
1: jokes. Um, maybe I, you want to let me think of a joke now to sort of make up for lost time. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, let me think. My my office has like a joke of the day, and they all suck I mean, really hard. So I'm trying to remember <laughs> one of those that I can share with everyone.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could share like the the subject matter reminds me of my first time fishing. Uh huh. like I was like four at the time. Like, fishing in a lake in Uh New York or something. I pull it up. It's this small kid's rod. And there's a crab on the line. So I scream and throw the entire thing into the water. (laughs) (laughs) That does sound like you. (laughs) Wow, rude. (laughs) My
1: my father has not let me forget this.
2: (laughs) I think I thought I'd heard of this game, but... It turns out I just recognized the Kawase because of Naomi Kawase, the who is a writer and director. Oh, so he's a real name. Yeah, yeah Maybe it's and not, not that way of a name. There's also Kawase, he was an artist and one of the most prominent uh, print designers of the Shin Hanga movement. Hmm. Huh. So yes, Kawase, real name.
1: good to know (laughs) good to know maybe that's i mean maybe that's why it ended up being a schoolgirl in the first place because it's a female name i don't know it is
0: right like i said thank you for listening if you have a suggestion or something you want to contact us about we are available on twitter at its symbolic pc or through email at its symbolic podcast at gmail.com we also have an Instagram. At its symbolic podcast. If you want to see a bunch with fish with legs, what were they on? Oh my god! Drugs or what? And as always, no matter how you're listening, be it iTunes, be it Spotify, be it Podbean, be it whatever, just be sure to leave a rating and review. It helps a lot. It helps us know what you like about it. And it helps spread the word. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'm Jacob. I'm Mir. I'm Ben. Join us next time when we cover one of the biggest potential turns in the gun debate issue. What if they just promise really nicely not to shoot anybody?
1: I mean, have you tried it? You can't. You can't. You can't knock until you have tried it. Yeah, I mean, they promised, and we they saw promised. their hands. They they didn't have their fingers a promise. crossed. You can't.
0: That, break that's a how. Promise. That's how America. They'll works. shoot you if you do. No.
1: <laughs> Appropriately enough <laughs> <laughs> I mean I guess I mean I guess that works. Yeah. I mean, if you pro- if you promise that Wait I'm... Wait. If you promise that you won't shoot and then you break Oh yeah, that would mean you shoot them.
0: Yeah, I... It's an eye for an eye. Oh god, but it just sets off like a never ending chain.
1: Oh my god, everyone's just shooting guns forever. That's just sort of the world we live in, huh? Getting you. Oh shit, you're right. <laughs>